We're in the information age, but facts are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth with FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals Podcast. Thanks for making us part of your day today. Uh, it is Tuesday. It's noon Eastern, and uh, we are live on Rumble rumble.com slash amradpod also streaming on twitter my twitter at real steve friend on garrett's twitter at gob actual and the show's twitter at amradpod you can watch us there but if you are watching us there why don't you hop on over to rumble they're in the chat they're lively they're having great discussions there about the content we're going to be bringing you today already and uh what we're going to be bringing you today is a repeat a return customer a return guest to the American Radicals podcast. He's always a favorite for our audience, Steve Baker, the pragmatic constitutionalist. He dropped some new information on Monday about his investigation going on with January 6 videos. And we also want to get an update on his own circumstances. And maybe if we have time to get his thoughts on some other things outside of January 6, I know he's a great journalist. He doesn't want to be typecast and pigeonholed into just that one particular thing. And he's definitely got some great thoughts to bring us. And we want to get to that as fast as we can, as soon as we can. But we also have a very exciting announcement today for the American Radicals podcast. We have secured a unique sponsor for the show. Nobody else has them. They reached out to us specifically. We want to put them to the front of the show to honor that commitment that they've made to us and to you all, and we can tell you all about them. So we're going to do that right now, and then we will get on with the regular show programming with Steve. Let me tell you about True Earth. The website is www.trueearth.co. You don't need to put the M at the end of it. It's just trueearth.co. This is an American company. They are in Georgia. They love the country. They reached out to support us. They support the American Radicals podcast to support this audience. And they have now created their first ever promotion code just for this audience, just for this show, AMRAD24. If you use that, you will get a 10% discount site-wide on all of their products. And let me tell you a little bit about their products because it's a very unique company. And you, if you do some research about them, and, and they have a lot of information on there about their origins, uh, but essentially walking through a grocery store and being surrounded by hundreds of pounds of this processed food, uh, they started to ask what is actually in the food and how is it grown? And the current primary method for doing that is very unhealthy. So True Earth researched and it led to some pioneering innovation in aquaponics to produce healthier food. And they discovered that their system also produces natural fertilizers. And they're not only nourishing the soil, but nourishing the body. So you can go and you can see from the very intro on this website, you can uh, pursue their actual fertilizer products and you can use that for your home garden or a home farm because I know we have some folks in the Midwest. Uh, or you can pursue the True Earth Pharmacy spelled with an F and you can look at the products that they have for your family, for you, and even your pets. Uh, I was big on, I wanted to make sure that I had a chance to try it. I didn't want to be uh, tossing any uh, suggestions to you to, to take on and try a new product that I hadn't tried myself. So they gave me some uh, some new products to try. They gave me a little starter kit. Uh, I've always been 
for those who know, I've been complaining for a long time that I have very sore ankles, and that is probably because they put a lot of miles on them every day on my half of almond of food uh, that Kyle Seraphim likes to make fun of me for, and uh, I, uh, I have sore ankles, and that is a lot from the inflammation. So I mentioned that to them, and they gave me the turmeric trio, which has uh, a lot of antioxidants and liver support and nutrition. It combines turmeric and ginger and black turmeric, and the studies have shown that together that they combine to help with the inflammatory response and to enhance your body's ability to heal. Uh, so what's the verdict on this one, folks? I've been trying it since January 1st. I, I told you in the last episode, I'm really not a resolution guy, but I decided I'm going to try it have, and I can happily report to you that my ankles feel much better, uh, which is sort of a relief because for a minute there, I was afraid the FBI might come banging on the door at six o'clock in the morning and I might not get there in time because my ankles hurt so bad. But now I feel good. I have the turmeric trio in my drop bags that I placed in all my drop bags around the swamps of Florida. So if they come and I run out the back door, I will have my turmeric trio to make sure that my ankles remain agile and pain-free so I can go on the lamb. Uh, so to wrap it up here, guys, uh, make sure that you go and visit their, their site, www.trueearth.co, and you can support them. You can support the AMRAD podcast and you can support yourself. Get, get, let's get healthy in 2024. That's why the promo code is AMRAD24. And with that, I'm happy, folks, to bring in a repeat, repeat visitor to the American Radicals podcast. My friend, Steve Baker. Steve, it is not going to be as hard this time because uh, we're both named Steve, but we don't refer to ourselves yeah. in the third person. And uh, <laughs> I'm also having seen my ad read for the True Earth. Uh, are you going to put some turmeric in your drop bags when the FBI comes for you so that you can stay wow. on the lamb as long as possible? It, lo it looks like I've got to change brands now, you know, now that my <laughs> buddy is... Uh... <laughs> Is hawking somebody else's uh, uh no, but I, I don't I don't have a sponsor of any turmeric brand or anything. I just you know I I have been buying what I buy at Costco, so I guess I need to I need to uh, subscribe, don't I? Yeah, yeah. You should give them a try, and if you do, make sure you get the ten percent discount. Uh, but you, you aren't here as part of any sort of infomercial. We want to get no. straight to it, sir. You uh you had a release of some video. Uh, and we were allowed to, it's been video that you've been viewing for the better part of a year now, and, and yeah. we're able to release significant portions of it to the public. Uh, and I'll, I'll pull up your, your, your Twitter that you made the announcement on, uh, told you we'd received permission to release the videos, proving that the Capitol police special agent, David Lazarus perjury in the oath keepers trial. Here we go. Share it widely. And, uh, and the blaze did a pretty good production. I have it broken down into a couple different portions and to launch off into discussion, we'll, we'll just watch the first portion and then, uh, and then you can, uh, sort of prompt more about yeah. that. We'll, and we'll have a discussion folks. This is, uh, the, uh, the video that the blaze produced on verse for Steve. The story of David Lazarus on January 6th is very simple. Lawyers for Stuart Rhodes and four other members of the Oath Keepers on trial have suggested that the group helped Officer Harry Dunn. Dunn just took the stand and said flat out, quote, they didn't. Sentenced to four years in prison. Sentenced to eight and a half years in prison. Sentenced to 12 years in prison. Sentenced to 18 years in prison. His story that day is he was assisting the evacuation of the Senate at the time that the incident between Officer Harry Dunn and the Oath Keepers began. 
Just outside of the rotunda, there was Harry Dunn. He's a Capitol Police officer. He was freaking out. I mean, he was screaming. No, get the f*** out of here. The Oath Keepers lined up between him and the more agitated protesters and assisted him in keeping them off of him. Don rejected the defense's argument that members of the militia protected him. I don't conflate my story. He had two separate FBI interviews which were in conflict with one another. In the first FBI interview, he actually gave a favorable story about his encounter with the four Oath Keepers. And he stood in front of Harry Dunn for almost six minutes. After he was brought in for his second FBI interview, he changed that story. He was fighting back insurrectionists across the Capitol while being called the vilest racist names. So what they did is they brought in another officer, special agent David Lazarus, to kind of bolster that story and give it more credibility by saying that when he arrived at the top of those stairs, that he saw Dunn standing at the top of the stairs being hassled by these Oath Keepers. All right, Steve. So that's sort of the... Uh the background for the research you've done. And uh, for yeah. those who are new to the audience, I just want to make sure that I give Steve a proper welcome. Um, let me pull him up. So Steve is a journalist for The Blaze Now. His background is actually as a professional musician. And then he transitioned over to doing this professionally uh, sort of as a result of being locked down for the coronavirus. And he's mm -hmm. been like a dog with a bone on some of the narratives surrounding January 6th. Yeah. He's attended a bunch of trials. And he's one of the select few journalists who had the opportunity to view these these videos uh, and now uh, we've set, sort of setting the stage here for the videos that you released yesterday. Uh, any, any, any commentary you want to provide? Yeah, I mean, Steve, obviously, thanks for having me today and, and thanks for giving me this uh, uh, yet another forum and opportunity to go through all of this that we've been working on for so long. You know, I started on this story back in October of uh, uh, 22. So this has been, you know, 15, 16 months that I've been working on this story. And I, and I can't tell you how, uh, you know, first of all, how blessed I am to have been uh, granted the opportunity to have a new relationship with The Blaze, to have the team uh, work professionally to put together the presentation of this. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to even do this back 16 months ago when I first sniffed the of this this story when it first started pinging my radar but as i began to work and do the work of it i you know i i knew that somebody would come along and somebody would uh be interested in this uh obviously this past summer uh blaze contacted me and said that they they had heard about the story uh through connections and they wanted to be a part of this reveal and of course this isn't the only thing where there's we we have them they're, they're lined up on the runway right now I mean, we've got the we've got the uh the plane stacked up ready to ready to launch as soon as we can get each one uh produced but the the most important aspect of this was when i was granted access to the capital cctv viewing room and that well, this just would not have been able to come to life. Did I know about the story? Could I have 
done written versions of these stories. Certainly I could have because I knew the truth of what was going on. I knew the truth about what was happening as a result of watching the trials. I had documents and documents are great. Documents mean something. Documents reveal truths, particularly when they're, they're documents that are trying to be hid or covered up or under court seal and you can't figure out why they won't allow unclassified documents uh, to be seen by the general public, like, for instance, uh, FBI uh, interviews, things of that nature. But uh, once we got our hands on the video and then we got permission to air the video, well, then it, cha you know, it changes everything. And so that's what happened yesterday after many, many months of uh, working with Congress to get permission to release these videos, particularly, it was particularly difficult with this group of uh, videos, Steve, because not only were they um, CCTV cameras in more sensitive parts of the building, but also had sensitive characters in there and, and, and that there are actual senators in some of these videos and you see that we blurred those out we had to we had to do that in order to secure the permission so not only did speaker johnson and then um, the committee that oversees the videos have to work with um, uh, the Capitol Police on security issues, they actually had, because these, these videos were taken on the Senate side of the building, they had to get uh, permission from this. Well, I don't know. Let me rephrase that. I don't know that they had to get permission, but they had a battle on their hands, which is one of the reasons why it took so much longer to get this particular release um, secured, permission secured than uh, what, what some of the things that we're showing from other parts of the building. It's completely ridiculous to me that that this would be a battle at all, and it doesn't. It, there's no benign reason for it. I mean, is it a surprise to you that senators work inside the Senate? I mean, it, it's not a national security; it's just a joke. But I'm glad you were able to actually squeeze some blood out of that stone there, and and finally yeah. approval there. And and we'll we'll play this next portion of the video, uh, exposing what actually uh, what Mr. Lazarus was happening to do uh, when when uh, he was claiming to be there to support uh, Mr. Dunn. So we'll, we'll jump on that one. Lazarus was just not there. He could not have seen, he could not have witnessed what was taking place because Lazarus was in another Senate office building across the street from Constitution Avenue. So we were able to track Lazarus on the Capitol CCTV cameras. Lazarus can be seen moving away from the Capitol building through a lower tunnel at 2.37.59 p.m. Lazarus continues moving toward the Senate office buildings at 2.41.49 p.m. During Officer Lazarus's October 31st trial testimony, he stated that he began his return to the Capitol building after hearing shots fired over Capitol Police radio. That occurred at 2.43 p.m. Here, Lazarus can be seen moving back toward the Capitol at 2.45 p.m. Dunn's encounter with the Oath Keepers began at 2.44 and lasted roughly between five and six minutes. Here, Lazarus finally emerges from the tunnel back to the Senate side of the Capitol building at 2.48. Dunn falsely testified that Lazarus was already at the location where he encountered the Oath Keepers before he arrived. 
but Lazarus can be seen at the top of the elevator leading up from the tunnel at 2.48 p.m. on the Senate side of the Capitol, over four minutes after Dunn encountered the Oath Keepers on the House side. I don't conflate my story. Hi, everyone. Mark. I will skip the ad there. I think that's probably a good, right. a good spot for us. <laughs> uh, um, so, I mean, this is sort of this 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 supports the 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 case you've been making, and you've mm -hmm. been on it. Uh, where you, I, I, the origin for you actually becoming skeptical was you attended the Oath Keepers trial, and right. I mean, I know you people get hunches. What was it that originally? Can you put your finger on it that you thought oh. I need to check into that? Absolutely. It, it was at nine o'clock on the morning of October 3rd, 2022, when Assistant U.S. Attorney approached the bench. And the, uh, of course, the, the judge overseeing the first Oath Keepers trial was uh, Ahmet Maida, is his name. And when Jeffrey Nessler, the Assistant U.S. Attorney, approached the bench, he was incensed that he had heard a quote unquote rogue attorney was about to release into the public uh, through Twitter or other social media platforms two FBI 302s. Now, you can explain to your own audience better than I can what a 302 is, but essentially it's the recounting of an interview in the, uh, you know, the agent's, special agent's own words. And in these two FBI 302s, uh, which were still under court seal. And un in other words, they were, even though they're not classified documents, for some reason, the court did not want these documents to be available to the public, although uh, they had been available to the trial attorneys under what they called you know, discovery and in, in the evidence for their uh, defense. Because once Officer Harry Dunn was announced as a witness, then basically the, the government had to provide for the trial attorneys all the information that they had about Officer Harry Dunn. Well, two of those documents that they were given access to were those FBI interviews, those 302s. But Assistant U.S. Attorney went to the bench first thing in the morning. This was before the jury came into the room. Um, and uh, they he said, you know, this, this rogue attorney is about to release those 302s to the public, and we can't have that. And I was sitting in the media room downstairs. Uh, the, the, the courtroom was on the fourth floor of the district courthouse in D.C. The media room's down on the first floor, and they, they have, you know, video and audio feed coming into the media room. And I'm sitting in the back of the media room, and I watched all the other guys from, you know, CNN, CBS, New York Times, uh, Washington Post, UPI, Reuters, blah, blah, blah. The whole, the whole list, about 20 or 25 of them are there and sitting in front of me in this room. And they... Um, uh, we're watching, you know, that this was a, a curious moment. And then all of a sudden, Judge Meta, he actually looked into the camera and he instructed the media pool to tweet out and to warn this other attorney by the name of uh, Jonathan uh, Mosley, that if he did, in fact, release those documents, those two um, FBI 302s into the public realm, that he would have his ass and that he would uh, hold him in contempt and throw him in jail. Well, the, the, the press pool all giggled about that. And they thought that was, you know, funny, I guess, that a judge would address us down in the room and, and, and uh, you know, commission us to do his bidding. And while they were laughing, I just went, what, what the hell's in those 302s? And, 
and from that moment forward, I had an obsession with getting my hands on those documents and finding out. And long story short, I did. I got my hands on the documents and that began what became uh, a, you know, a, a year long process of putting together the evidence trail the pieces of the puzzle in order to bring the first part of this story. I know, I know in our blaze video, it says part three, it's part three of an overall series about January 6th, but it's really the first part of the Lazarus story. We have more to come. Uh, we've got, uh, in addition to the Lazarus story, we have a day in the life of Harry Dunn. All of this is a direct result of that moment in court. Can you imagine that? What they, what, what they unleashed that day, um, by making my radar ping and not by, you know, I didn't, I didn't giggle at this. I was curious and I became, I, I guess to a certain extent, I would say obsessed with the story and with uh, finding the evidence in this case, but I, I had no idea where it would take me at the time. I had no idea what I would discover along the way and how much more passionate about this story I would become. And it wasn't, to, you know, look, this is important because I get accused of this all the time, especially on uh, on X and my threads is, you know, uh, people from the left and uh, liberals or progressives or even the sedition hunters are always accusing me of, you know, me going after these two black cops. So therefore, I must be a racist. I must be a white supremacist. But, you know, that, that same old tired narrative It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It has to do with the fact that I saw something that did not ring true. And it wasn't true. And I needed to find out what it was. And then I'll, I'll, I'll finish this diatribe up real quick. But uh, it was only four weeks later on October 31st of the same month that both of these characters, the prime interest in my investigation, Officer Harry Dunn and Special Agent David Lazarus, actually testified back to back on uh, Halloween of 22. And then, I mean, it was it was game on at that point because I could tell from their testimonies that there was definite cover up. Their testimonies didn't even align. First of all, they contradicted each other in, in their court te courtroom testimony. So some, something was uh, amiss at that point. Well, because the entire time you've been pure in having the journalistic ethics of just follow the facts wherever they lead you. There's not really a seeking of a narrative, which is why you've frustrated people on the other side that they say that January 6th was an entire yeah. put up job and, and frame job. And you know, the thing I was I was actually happy that you brought forward that information about how the doors were not opened by anybody other than the, the protesters who were there that day. Right. So it's there's never been an agenda here other than uncovering the truth. And and one of the uh, side that I, I did get sort of chuckle at watching that that second portion and and folks we will watch the third portion here. We are on Rumble, rumble.com slash AMRAD pod. This is the American Radicals podcast. Steve Friend in the hosting seat today. Garrett O'Boyle off one more day. He'll be back with us on Thursday. We are with you every Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday at noon Eastern. You can also catch the podcast afterwards if you want that. Uh, and you can do that on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, all of those. Wherever you are, make sure you give us a like and a subscribe so you can help the show grow. We're here today with Steve Baker, Blaze journalist. He is on X at TPC for USA. That stands for the Pragmatic Constitutionalist, the number four USA. And he's talking about this most recent release of video footage that he had from uh, this David Lazarus inconsistency during his testimony of having witnessed this altercation between Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn and the Oath Keepers and how uh, that 
he essentially perjured himself. And then we need to dig into that and expose that more. Uh, but watching that, that last bit before we get to the third portion, and he said that he was responding to shots fired and mm -hmm. uh, seemed to be doing so in a very, I don't know, controlled tempo. I mean, if, if my fellow coworkers were involved in an active shooting engagement, I, I might walk with a little more briskly than, than uh, Special Agent Lazarus did. Uh, but that being said, I do think the timing of your release here is pretty serendipitous because for another friend of mine, Joe Hanneman, who I, I know is acquaintance mm -hmm. of yours as well, yeah. who's all over the shooting part where at the time, Lieutenant Byrd, now Captain Byrd with the Capitol Police, shot Ashley Babbitt right. and how there's been some, uh, some funniness that went on with that where he was essentially calling out that after he'd actually shot her, he was saying, well, we are taking fire and we're now prepared to. So there was a little, I'm calling it post meditation, uh, as, as opposed to premeditation. But I do think that the, <laughs> those two things crossing over here are significant because maybe you can essentially highlight each other and play off each other, even though they're different issues. Uh, the fact that they, they carried over is, is I think very valuable. Uh, and, and we will now go to the third portion of this video. This is a production by the blaze. Steve's a journalist for them. Um, and we'll play this and then and then get some more thoughts on it. Senate side of the building at 2.50 p.m. At 2.52 p.m., Lazarus can be seen continuing his progression toward the House side of the Capitol. The four Oath Keepers are no longer standing a line between Officer Dunn and those contentious protesters as they had moved into the rotunda and began heading toward the east doors to exit the building. At 2.54 p.m., Lazarus continues moving toward the house side of the Capitol. He is still one level down from where Dunn and the Oath Keepers encounter had already concluded minutes earlier. At 2.56 p.m., Lazarus is still one floor below and is still not arrived at the staircase where he claimed to have seen Dunn's encounter with the four Oath Keepers. By this time, those Oath Keepers had already left the rotunda and are about to exit the east doors. Finally, at 2.56, Lazarus can be seen reaching the bottom of the staircase, at the top of which he claimed to have witnessed Dunn's very antagonistic interaction with four Oath Keepers three or four times while rescuing 11 or 12 of Pelosi's staff from their offices. The problem with that is it just never happened. All right. So you have clearly exposed here, Steve, that <laughs> these guys, both Harry yeah. Don and uh, and David Lazarus, uh, were lying when they testified at the Oath Keepers trial about having seen each other and seen this yeah. interaction that Harry Don allegedly had with right. the Oath Keepers that day. And it's uh, now we actually have the the you brought the receipts. You can't just say I've seen this and it'll come out. You're you're not doing the uh, the Adam Schiff where you know eventually I'll have the proof for you to see. Uh, you brought the receipts. Uh, mm -hmm. my question is first, my first thought actually was why David Lazarus to begin with? Well, what, is there anything that you've uncovered in your research on him? Do, is he compromised or, or is he, was it just his, his time that they just happened to pull him up or is he somebody yeah. who's got a great reputation? W why him? Well, you astutely asked that question because you have being, <laughs> you know how to ask the right questions in an investigation and that is certainly a situation as you are aware of is that it's much easier to get somebody to break a law to tell a lie 
uh, if in fact they are compromised. Now, I'm not prepared to tell the world yet what that compromised situation is, but I will tell you it's compromised. He's compromised from a previous uh, disciplinary action that was taken against him by the United States Capitol Police for an offense that he committed, which he compounded with another offense. That's pretty much all I can give away right now. And um, uh, I will tell you that once we bring that part of the story to the fore, it'll it'll kick the other leg out from underneath this. And despite the fact that the Capitol Police themselves, I mean, just just a couple of days ago, uh, we learned from internal sources there that uh, uh, Chief uh, Capitol Police Chief Thomas Manger had stated behind closed doors that he had no intention of launching an investigation into this potential or alleged perjury by um, Special Agent David David Lazarus, and that I don't think he anticipated only two days after that that we would drop this video. But also what he is not anticipating is, well, let me rephrase that. I think they know what I know. I think they already know what we've discovered. And I, I say that with some confidence in knowing that my comms are all being monitored anyway. Now, how much of those monitor, monitored comms are being passed to the Capitol Police leadership is unknown to me at present, except for the fact that the chief counsel for the Capitol Police, uh, a gentleman by the name of Tad Tobias, himself is also a former federal prosecutor with the Department of Justice, and he has worked very closely with DOJ in the prosecution of so many um, uh, J6 defendants. And of course, in, since, since they're intending to make me one of those as well, I have no doubt that there's some sharing of information between those sources. Oh, so he, here's a couple of things that strike me as a trained investigator, former federal agent. Uh, if he is compromised, that, that could indeed be Giglio material that should be mm. turned over regardless of whether or not he's giving a true statement uh, of his experience, which right. it's very clear that he did not hear as a result. So uh, I'd be interested to know if, if that Giglio material was just never furnished, because that is indeed another grounds for an appeal. Uh, that's that's a no-no. And, and for folks watching us on Rumble or listening subsequently, what is Giglio material? It's essentially derogatory information about the agent of the government, the, the special agent or the police officer, whoever is testifying. Let's say that some point in my career, I provably perjured myself in front of a jury. Well, from then on, that needs to be turned over to a future defendant, a future defense attorney, so that they can impeach me and say, well, agent friend, you lied last time. What's to say that you're not lying this time? And it's a credibility issue. So essentially, if yeah. you're ever shown to have perjured yourself, you can't ever again. They won't let you because you'll blow any case. Uh, so I'd be interested to know if that's giggling material. Certainly going forward now that there's provable, provably that these guys were not interacting the way that they testified for. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that they've both perjured themselves, and that certainly is a federal crime. Uh, yeah. I think you can articulate, and certainly as wide and broadly as they've been interpreting the law and applying it to January 6th defendants, uh, what, what about a conspiracy against rights sort of hmm. uh, a violation on, the, on both Dunn and Lazarus and any one of the U.S. attorneys or assistant U.S. attorneys who put them up to this and facilitated it. I don't think, as, as you went on here in, later on in this video, said they didn't meet up in a back room between Lazarus and Dunn and say, right. well, uh, 
are we going to cover our tracks here? Lazarus was brought in subsequently when Harry Dunn had conflicting interviews with the FBI, and he was sort of he was brought in to sort of polish that up, make it look a little bit cleaner. So there yeah. was some reasons afoot. There was coordination between more than the, just those two people, and I would argue that anyone involved in that circle was involved in a conspiracy against the rights of the defendants there. And you yeah. would hope that an energetic uh, Congress would put the put the pressure on the DOJ to bring those charges because I think politically there's just not going to yeah. be an appetite for it. Well, you've said a, a mouthful there, Steve. There, first of all, let's just be completely clear with everyone watching this this uh, podcast right now is that this information that you've just seen in the, you know the three clips that you've shown from our video reveal, which uh, was dropped yesterday uh, is information that was not given to the defense attorneys in those Oath Keepers trials. As a matter of fact, the actual cameras from which the video came that we harvested from Capital CCTV, those cameras were not even made available. There was something like 650 total cameras that were made available to all of the January 6th defendants. Of the 1,738 or 39 total cameras that were available. Now, that may sound kind of nefarious. It sounds like that, you know, DOJ was holding back 1,100 cameras. I, I, I think I can give them a little bit of grace in that a lot of those cameras, there's never any protesters, there's never any possible uh, defendants in the video shot. The problem with them not having access to these cameras, one of the people that was testifying in the trial, the defendants and their attorneys should have had access to all of the cameras related to anyone testifying against them. Obviously, that seems you know uh, academic. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, it shouldn't be a controversial thing. But those cameras were never made available to these defense attorneys. So we start there. So even if they were had been able to identify that Special Agent Lazarus was not even in the same building with the Oath Keepers at the same time that they were having their interaction with Harry Dunn, um, that that was not afforded to them. So that could, they couldn't impeach his testimony with that to begin with. Of course, obviously, if, if the DOJ had known that the defense had access to those videos, then that testimony probably would not have been given, which makes us ask a lot more questions. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you right now, Steve, and as I, as you pointed out earlier, there's no way that Harry Dunn and Lazarus, they weren't close enough friends to begin with to hatch this, uh, you know, cover story on their own. Somebody put them up to this, and then somebody also, and when I say the somebodies, there are at least three organizations, three entities, federal entities that I know of who did have access to all of these videos, that would be the Capitol Police, that would be the Department of Justice, that would be the FBI. And I find it uh, incredibly unlikely that those three entities themselves did not also know uh, or didn't know that uh, Lazarus was not where he claimed he, he was, because those aren't the only videos. There, there are tons of, of cell phone camera, there were journalists that passed by that incident, um, the uh, MPD body cameras that passed by that incident, and in which we've been cobbling all these little bits and pieces and fragments together to more accurately show the narrative. But more importantly, and you're going to, look, you're going to appreciate this, but 
it's also maddening considering where you came from yourself, is that there are ample examples from the video we do have of the Oath Keeper Harry Dunn encounter where people are standing there videoing with their cell phones. Where's that video? Why is that being withheld? Because you know, in these trials, the FBI loves bragging, not only about their, you know, geofencing capabilities. And they can, I mean, I've seen them show maps and tracings of people routing. They can watch them as they're walking through the rotunda and through the, the crypt and all that. They can literally track where people were in the building itself that day. But also they've been able to capture from Facebook live broadcast and also when they seize devices after they arrest individuals, uh, they are able to show video because most people that have been caught up in this dragnet, particularly inside the uh, building, a lot of people have been uh, their own worst enemies because they got charged or overcharged or had some other enhancement to their charges because of what they said or what they did on their own camera. So it wasn't because of capital CCTV or whatever. It was their own camera, camera that incriminated them for something or, or something they said or whatever. And so the fact that there's so much video that we can see from other people's cameras being made of that Oath Keeper, Harry Dunn encounter, and we don't have it, I, I, I mean, I, look, I, I can't do anything but draw a conclusion that there, in fact, is... Uh, additional resources of that event, additional evidence of that event that are being withheld from us that would in fact be exculpatory and would exonerate those four Oath Keepers. This entire Oath Keepers trial just highlights the 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 sentiment, the the message that I've been harping on and consistently that the government has gotten away from the fair process. They're interested yeah. in the outcome now. They're interested in the wins and the losses, and that's not their job. Their their right. job is to present the facts as they are and leave it up to a jury of the peers. And obviously you can argue whether or not a D.C. jury is a jury of your peers uh, when it comes to this case because it's a 100% conviction rate. Uh, before we, we come off of this story, though, uh, I do want to get your thoughts, and this is just makes me chuckle. I mean, you got... 30 pieces of silver, obviously, Harry Dunn, you know, he, he got his book deal. He got multiple yeah. medals of valor and, uh, and, and now a congressional run, uh, apparently. So uh, apparently if you ever get on TV for 15 minutes, you are qualified to run the country. So when can we expect a Steve Baker run for, run for higher <laughs> office? Well, you know, um, Considering the fact that they're about to make me a January 6th defendant, you know, I, I if, if I was on the left, I would be all the more qualified. You know, the more sins you commit, the more crimes you get caught in, the more qualified you become for office uh, if I was running as a Democrat. But I won't ever do that. But then again, I also probably would never run for uh, a GOP. I'm not a party guy. I'm more of a hardcore Washingtonian farewell address guy uh, against parties itself. But, you know, I, I have I have only held one office in my one political office in my life. And I was junior high school uh, student body president in the ninth grade. There you go. That's the only that's the only political wow. office I ever ran for and the only one I ever held. I won in a landslide and um, it was uh, it was a crushing defeat for my opponents. 
And then I held that office for, uh, you know, a full nine months of my junior high, ninth grade career. That's did you did you school. promise no homework on Friday or uh, candy <laughs> machines? Because those were the, no, the two was, campaign promises. It, it, it was it was the, uh, the the Coke machines and the vending machine promise. You know, that was the big one because we we had to have that. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was, uh, I held one student government position. It was unelected because I was not going to campaign. I just found a hack and apparently at my alma mater, University of Notre Dame, the treasurer of the student body was not elected. It was an application oh, to the wow. prior guy. And I was able to get that and held that actually for two years. So my yeah. name is engraved. There's a student body treasurer. I was over a lot of money. I had at my fingertips and control of how putting things around. I just scratched my head that that seems like a pretty prominent right, position right, within right. A, a university, but it was just kind of like I applied and they, they hired me for the job. So we, we, we well, have now, that in now common. That yeah. Now that I've given this away, now the sedition hunters can go research my political career, my nine month long political career and really find the skeletons in my closet and, uh, well, and drag those out. They'll have, they might be sedition hunters probably has a time because apparently the FBI is not taking their, their stuff anymore. And they're, they're like <laughs> a spurned woman, uh, as I, I share with you on social media, like they, they're just like yeah. this needy, naggy girlfriend and the FBI just at a certain point just can't, can't even with the sedition hunters and they've, they've moved on. Yeah. Uh, let's, so, let's, hey, let's just, let's talk about the sedition hunters just real quick. Cause I, I want to, yeah. I want to, I want to address it. You know, I, I don't like the idea of the sedition hunters. And I, I, when I, when I poke them and they poke me a lot, so it, you know, it, it, it's turnabout's fair play, but when I poke them, I call them the good Germans. And, you know, when I talk about who they're supporting and who they're reporting to, I call them the Stasi, you know, so it, it's, it's, I'm mixing, you know, uh, a, a couple of uh, historical events there around the same timelines, but you know what I'm talking about. And, and so, because I don't like the, I just don't, I inherently don't like the idea. Look, okay. In the era of post 9-11, see something, say something. I get it. If you see a backpack or a suitcase abandoned in an airport, yeah, see something, say something. I, I get that. If you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that your neighbor is dealing fentanyl and he's harming someone and, and he's harming your, your the kids in your neighborhood or, or, or you get wind that, uh, a couple of uh, real terrorists are, are housed in your your you know housing project or something. I, I get that, but this is a situation where they are going after individuals who we know they and look they know. I have had some of them who I have communication with that have admitted to me and actually have said these words. We understand that many of these people simply did not know that they were entering restricted space. But that's not stopping them from going after grandmas or young couples that walked in and took, you know, 10 minute selfies in the rotunda, you know, uh, peacefully, uh, without doing any damage, without harming any uh, law enforcement officers or attacking media or any anything else and got out of there. Uh, but rather than focusing their efforts strictly on people that did violence, that did property destruction, the types of people that they are trying to, you know, uh, uh, incorporate in their dragnet. And now, you know, as we saw Matthew Graves, a U.S. attorney, 
uh, has now said that they're going to extend that drag down all the way out into the property itself. Literally said the words the other day that they're going to identify thousands more people that willfully and knowingly entered restricted space. And he said these words, knowingly broke the law. I'm telling you, no, I was there. I had no idea whatsoever all the way up until the wet, lower West Terrace battle lines that I was in restricted space because that was the first time I saw any fencing of any kind. By the time I got there, it had all been removed. I know for a fact that thousands of people moved into that area that had no idea that they were entering a quote-unquote restricted space. So back back to the, the sedition hunters, I, I, I have some reasonable con conversations with some of them. I have some very unreasonable conversations with others, but um, I, I don't, I don't like the idea of, of them hunting down their fellow Americans and turning them over for such, Steve, these are misdemeanor crimes, if crimes at all. And, and any first year law student, student will tell you that that phrase, that ignorance of the law is no excuse is, is total crap. I mean, Yes, intent matters uh, in intending uh, in commission of a crime. Also, knowledge of of criminal behavior matters, uh, and so that that whole uh, that whole canard about uh, um, uh, not knowing is is no excuse is is not accurate in a court of law. I have a real problem with that. But some of these sedition hunters are becoming. Um, as, as you pointed out, this, this special relationship that they have, they're becoming quite uh, frustrated with it because, as you know, they have themselves identified not a handful, not just dozens, but over a hundred violent offenders that for some reason the FBI seems disinterested in because they would rather go after independent journalists, uh, journalists they would rather go after me. They would go after, or rather go after um, Siaka Masakwai, you know, the, the hacker that works with the Babylon Bee and Daily Wire. They would rather go after them, people that didn't enter the Capitol, people that did know violence, people that were covering the event as an independent journalist like myself. They would rather focus on that. And even that frustrates the sedition hunters when they have done the hard work to identify for the government uh, more violent offenders. And, and I, of course, I said, you know, when I responded to their most recent posting on X about that frustration, I said, yeah, it's kind of curious, isn't it? I said, you and I both are asking the same question. Why does the FBI seem incurious about uh, them when they have their name, they have their address, they know exactly where these people are. They're not fugitives. And uh, it was funny because one of the sedition hunters, uh, you know, posted on their main their main page said, "Do you want us to send you a Google map of their location?" <laughs> right to the FBI. Here's here's actually a problem, and I don't I don't know if you've you've heard this before. Um, and and for those joining us on Rumble on the American Radicals podcast, Rumble.com/slash/amradpod, and uh, we are with Steve Baker, who is the pragmatic constitutionalist. You can find him on X at TPC for USA. And he's also a journalist for the blaze. And we're talking about his, his video release that happened yesterday about mm -hmm. the Harry Dunn and David Lazarus inconsistencies in the Oath Keepers trial that he now has brought the receipts. Uh, but to this sedition hunters point, 
having worked on innocent images, violent crimes against children, child pornography, mm -hmm. we yeah. would have people who were good citizens in their minds doing the right thing. And they would go and do the, the, to catch a predator and catch yeah. online pedophiles saying, Oh, I want to go and meet up with this child for nefarious purposes. And they would bring that over to us. And we were not allowed to take those cases. They were mm. considered vigilantes who had contaminated it. It's fruit of the poisonous tree. We cannot wow. take that prosecution. And I can see a direct parallel to that and what the sedition hunters do. And I find it very interesting that the FBI says they're not vigilantes. Well, what is that? Is it, is it because this is an unprecedented investigation or is it because they're on the payroll for the United States government? We'll, we'll see that that's a that's a great question as well, because we have surmised, we have conjectured, we have uh, guessed and assumed for years now that the sedition hunters might be on the government's payroll. But we have a new book out by none other than NBC's Ryan Riley uh, called The Sedition Hunters. And in that book, he um, he's apparently pissed off some of the sedition hunters himself because he did reveal in fact, that the FBI has made some of these sedition hunters actual CHSs or confidential human sources. And as, and as he wrote in the book, he said they are contracted as confidential human sources. And you know what that means. It means they are on the payroll. And, uh, and that correct. is not what I believe that the Congress funded the FBI to do is to deputize private citizens to go do the internet searching when in fact they're supposed to have all the the technology to do their job properly from mm -hmm. pull people who've actually sworn an oath and gone through yeah. some sort of vetting yeah. process right. which is a problem um so as we're wrapping up here in the, in the last few minutes of the show I do want to get your thoughts on the Capitol Police resident agencies as they've now been uncovered that they're they're putting <laughs> these satellite offices uh, because yeah. you've gotten to know some of these cap police officers and and i've pushed back on that uh because they're special agents because they're 1811 criminal investigators like david lazarus he actually has the authority to investigate and enforce all elements of federal law but right. there's a reason that the dea focuses on drugs and the atf focuses on alcohol tobacco and firearms and the FBI theoretically is supposed to focus on complex financial crimes and bank robberies. And the IRS focuses on tax. Like you stay in your lane. And if your lane is to protect the capital or protect the occupants of the capital, I find it really problematic if you are setting up shop in Florida. And it, I see the, the analogy would be like a, uh, a, a national for, uh, forest ranger in Yosemite, <laughs> just going and setting up shop at a satellite in San Francisco right. and investigating federal crime. He, he might be a actually sworn, duly sworn to do that, but that's not what they're intended or funded to do. Right. Well, it, you know, it, it's incomprehensible to begin with. Uh, I don't even know that you or I understand the layers of redundancy in federal law enforcement now. I mean, and the crossover and uh, the the <laughs> the chaff that is there that shouldn't be there. But when you start talking about sending what are ostensibly the glorified security guards of the uh, lawmakers that predominantly um, spend their time in D.C., sending them to satellite um, offices now around the country, I know the reason 
that is given for that is that they do have security needs and security concerns uh, when they do leave the capital. And look, I, I will, I will, I will grant them that some of our lawmakers, because of their position, I mean, look at the Speaker of the House. It doesn't matter whether we go back to uh, Tip O'Neill or we were talking about Nancy Pelosi or if we're talking about the current Speaker of the House, um, Mike Johnson. Uh, those individuals are, in fact, second in line <laughs> to the presidency. If something happens to the president, the vice president, the Speaker of the House becomes president. So having a, a, a specific and special security detail around them makes sense, particularly in this world that we live in. Uh, some of the more high profile senators, some of the more high profile committee chairs uh, for, uh, of the House may also uh, seem to justify, have justifiable reasons for additional security. I'm not so sure that I want anything that resembles a national police force operating in every major city in the country. We certainly already have that. If you look at, you know, at what the FBI has become, uh, we don't need that. And we certainly don't need another layer of that. And I, I, I'm really dubious about this. Now, to the extent that that's their only job is, let's say, let, I mean, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, Steve. You, you, you probably know better than I do. But um, one of the first two places that the Capitol Police set up a satellite office was in San Francisco, obviously the home of Nancy Pelosi. Um, OK, so the Speaker of the House, maybe would it be appropriate to have a couple of people there just investigating threats around her? Or is that already handled by the FBI? Is this just another level of redundancy we don't need? The uh, the Capitol Police are actually handling those threats. Uh, it, it, they're like the physical body man, like they're. But yeah, as far as threats to a politician, the FBI should investigate that. that there's right. a reason that the SWAT right. team went into Utah and, and wound up shooting that guy who threatened the president. It wasn't the Secret yeah. Service. And it, it, again, there's there's a lot of overlap, and there might be a turf battle with one way or another. Uh, I understand maybe a need to have a command center for the physical protection of essentially a, like a diplomat, I mean, but it's the Speaker of the House. That, that's necessary, but to conduct investigations where the Capitol Police yeah. have actually been in Florida already. They're in Tampa. That's a very right. liberal sheriff who's allowed them to be task force officers, essentially, and working in with his sheriff's office to investigate January 6 cases because such a large percentage of people right. who've been prosecuted have come from Florida and uh, that's not what the uh, the I think that the Capitol Police got like a 20% bonus or something ridiculous after January 6 the beef up in their their budget and it's right. mission creep I mean it's you, you just have to spend it you use it or you lose it and they're they're going to yeah. use it to build facilities that are wholly inappropriate for what is supposed to be their their actual expertise or their at least their lane uh, their area of responsibility, which is Capitol Hill. It's not Tampa, Florida. Right. Um, right. So in the, in the closing minutes here, um, you put out, uh, a, a sort of a bittersweet piece on your, uh, what is it? Your Substack, And I want to make sure that oh, yeah. I direct you to locals, that locals. Uh -huh. on your yeah. locals and, uh, yeah. and I'll let you plug that here. And as you, you tell us about how you're going into a new, uh, a new, new part of life. Yeah, I mean, I have been uh, engaged in the business of music in one form or the other since I was a kid. I, I started off as a uh, young musician, trumpet player. I uh, I 
quit college after a year and a half and went on the road traveling around the world with a band. I, I have been in various uh, aspects of the music business, whether it was uh, playing music in church, working with uh, church youth groups, uh, organizing concerts. Uh, then I got into the uh, management side of, of uh, the music business. I actually managed a couple of major label artists. And then uh, several years ago, I decided I wanted to play again. I wanted to go back to my first love, which was trumpet. And so I joined a band um, back uh, in 2000. And long, long story short, which I detail a little bit more in that article, and I hope people will go check it out, is that I eventually, this band that I joined, I eventually became the, the manager, eventually became the owner of that act. And I ran this outfit for 23 years. We had some offshoot projects. Uh, we did a Yacht Rock uh, uh, band. Uh, we did uh, a smaller little ensemble versions, jazz pop trios and quartets and then my most fun side project we ever did as a as a side project of my main band was a david bowie tribute act so i i had a lot of fun with this particular thing for 23 years but then as you know life changes and as you mentioned at the top of this uh, this program that when COVID came to town, it changed everything for me. For a year and a half, I was not allowed to work. And it was during that period that I actually have said, I probably said it to you as well, is that it was during that period that the government weaponized me against them. Once I began to realize that their reasons for locking us down and not allowing me to work were dubious at best, and, um, and that they were not, in fact, following the science, I began to to target uh, my investigations, uh, which had always been a hobby uh, on the side. And my writing uh, was more political commentary oriented, but I shifted to more investigative journalism. And then of course, January 6th came along and everything changed for me. So in the last year, it's become increasingly difficult for me to maintain and to really do my, my other band members the, uh, the service that they needed to keep them busy and keep them playing as I've been out around the country chasing these stories. So I finally came to the decision back uh, just at the end of the summer this last year that it was time to let it go. And so I have officially retired from the music business, although I, I, I do hope to do some sideline projects, you know, in the, in the not too distant future. I don't know that I could completely ever give it all up. Well, the uh, the piece is called Bull City Syndicate, 23 years and done. Uh, you guys can find it uh, on uh, on his locals account, the pragmaticconstitutionalist.locals.com. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's worth the read. I think Steve uh, is a uh, a renaissance man for sure. He's not one of these jack of all trades, master of none. You've you've mastered the music, you've mastered the the vocals, and and now you've mastered the uh, the, the journalism because you've you're crushing it out there, man. And uh, and I thank you thank for you. all that you're doing, and thank you for your friendship and your willingness to come on to yeah, the American Radicals you. podcast with us today. Uh, Anytime, folks. Yeah, and thanks, Steve. Thanks so much. And we're you you are always a fan favorite. Where and uh, if you are are willing to come back another time, uh, we we'd always appreciate you. You come to give us the updates, and we'll be on the lookout for a day in the life of Harry Don and anything subsequent yeah. that comes out from you at theblaze.com. Make sure, guys, that you're following him on X at TPC for USA and everything that uh, he puts out on the blaze is always worth the read. Uh, we want to we'll close it out here today, guys. Uh, and uh, I want to thank you all for, for watching us, watching the American Radicals podcast. We are with you every Tuesday, 
Thursday, Saturday at noon Eastern. A uh, little looking into the future. Uh, we have a, an exciting interview with Murtaza Hussein in on Thursday. He's from The Intercept. He's covered a lot of the entrapment that's gone on with the FBI. So I know Garrett's going to be back finally with me, and we're going to try to cover uh, up and, and fill in some blind spots that we might have from uh, from our political worldviews. Uh, certainly people at The Intercept tend to come from the left side of things. Garrett and I tend to be from the right, but uh, we can definitely agree that there is a problem. And when the Venn diagram overlaps, uh, that's where the facts are, which is what uh, we are intent on bringing you every day here that we broadcast on Rumble, rumble.com slash amradpod. Thank you very much, folks. Enjoy your day, and we will see you next time. You've been listening to the voice of the Suspendables on the American Radicals podcast. Follow us on rumble.com slash amradpod.